Are you one of the many Americans with no estate plan? Or perhaps the dust is thicker than the documents? Well, join us today as we have Bruce Udell, an estate planning expert, author, and speaker with over 35 years of experience, to share with us some of what's new in the estate planning arena, as well as some considerations to think about when planning your estate. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you. Glad to be on the program. Appreciate you inviting me in to give my views on the things I love to talk about. Well, I think it's a topic that's near and dear to all of our hearts. And now that we've had this new, dare I say, permanent tax law affecting estate taxes, we went for many years not knowing what was going to happen. And now we finally have some permanency until Congress and the President change it again sometime down the road. But given the new increased estate tax exemptions and the portability, do you feel people still need to do estate planning? Absolutely, I do. Because they change the exemptions and because they change the way you can use the exemptions, it really doesn't change the fact that people still love their families, right? And they still want to leave money to their families when they die, and they still want to be able to help their children and help their grandchildren with their college education and all the things they used to do. And they also still want to protect those assets, right, from creditors and lawsuits and divorce. Because really, in the United States today, you have a much better chance of one of your heirs getting divorced than you do of paying an estate tax, right? And the estate tax rate, last time I checked, is 40%. But when you get divorced, at least in Florida, you lose 50%. So (laughs) a lot of the issues surrounding estate planning aren't tax-related, right? They're related to how do I leave my money to my children, And how much can I afford to give to my children? And when can I afford to give it to my children? And by the way, I still like to donate to my charities. Can I still do that? So there's still an awful lot of reasons for people to do estate planning. Versus just leaving it up to the court system or somebody that has no knowledge of what your wishes are. So most people who are interested in estate planning really have no idea where to start. So what are the basic questions people need to consider? Well, here's the thing. Backing up even further than that, most people go in and they start looking at estate planning. Dan Sullivan, who works with entrepreneurs, has a saying that the problem is not the problem. The problem is that people don't know how to think about the problem, right? So just going to how do you start, if a person walks into their attorney and their attorney, after telling them about their exemptions and exclusions and some things about estate planning, eventually says, what do you want to do with your estate? He's asked them an essay question on a subject that he knows nothing about. You should get a blank stare and say something like, well, what do most people do? So one of the things I found useful is to convert that essay question into multiple choice questions. So what's most important to you? Is it more important to leave more money to your family? Is it more important to eliminate the tax? Is it more important to leave money to charity? Or is your financial independence the big thing for you? You need to help them with the questions they need to ask Jim and Tony with estate planning. So what we found is you're better off raising questions for them in a multiple-choice fashion and give them some options and just asking them essay questions like, well, what do you want to do, right? So they need to be able to figure out, how much do I want to leave my children? How do I want to leave it to my children? How do I want to divide it up between my children? Do I want to divide it up equally, or do some children have special needs? Do I want to protect it from creditors and lawsuits and divorce? Do I want to leave money to my church or other charities that I care about when I die? Those are the things they need to be able to think about, and they haven't thought about them on their own. So we really need, as advisors, to help them through those questions. And I found the best way to do that is it's much easier if you ask someone a question on a subject they know nothing about to make it a multiple-choice question, like, would you rather do A, B, C, or D? And I'll usually give them three or four answers to the question that I would come up with. And a lot of times they won't pick my answer. For example, 
Warren Buffett said, I want to leave my children enough that they can do anything, but not so much that they can do nothing. How do you feel about that issue? Is there a max amount you can leave your kids? I want to leave my kids everything. I want to leave my kids a certain amount of money. I don't want to leave my kids anything because it'll ruin them. So I give them three or four answers of my own that they can pick from, and a lot of times they'll form their own because now they know how to think about the issue. They say, okay, well, I don't want to do any of those, but now I see what you're getting at, so how about if I do this? So it's not just what questions. It's how you ask the questions is really important. You have to help give some context for that person so they know how to answer that question. And for our listeners, you go to your advisor for this stuff. The benefit that we have is that we've dealt with, in some cases, maybe hundreds or even thousands of families through a career. You get to hear all the different stories of how people approach things, where someone doing an estate plan might be dealing with the subject for the very first time, or maybe they've had two or three examples to pull from in their own family or friends. So they really don't even know what the possibilities are, and that's the advantage of working with a team, working with an attorney, working with an insurance professional. These people have worked with a lot of different situations and can help give you examples that help pull from you what's important to you. Do you find that to be true? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's so important because the one assumption that we tend to make that I think is a bad assumption is I used to do it myself to assume that the client knows what he wants to do, right? Yeah. They don't know what they want to do. They don't even know how to think about the issue. But once you start, like you say, giving them some examples, now they can see what you're getting at and they can make some value judgments. Another thing, people sometimes make the mistake of thinking that good estate planning is only when you're gone. There's a lot of issues to be dealing with while you're living, and you don't have to be a millionaire to want to get these issues down. I mean, people work their whole life. What's a lot to some people may not be as much to others, but what you've worked your whole life to put together, you just don't want to leave that up to chance. That's right. And that's a huge issue, what you just brought up. That's just a huge issue in estate planning for multiple reasons. You know what's interesting about that is that that's not just an issue for a person with a $3 million estate. That's an issue for a person with a $100 million estate, right? Yep. Because their lifestyle is not the same as my lifestyle. So we actually developed a piece called Free the Hostages. By hostages, I mean I find that people come in to see me and they answer our questionnaire, which, as you mentioned earlier, asks, okay, so what do you want to do? Prioritize these four things as to what you want to do. Leave more money to my family, eliminate tax, leave money to charity, or financial independence. Those are the four things. Well, guess what's always the number one thing? Financial independence. Whether it's a $3 million state or a $100 million state. And what happens is... Because of what happened in 2008 and because people are living longer than they used to live and they're going into nursing home care, people basically hold on to their assets so tight because they're worried they're not going to have enough money to support their lifestyle for the rest of their life. And because of that, that one goal, that one goal, all the other goals are basically held hostage to that one goal, financial independence. And unless you can get them really clear about how much money they need for their own lifestyle, they're going to have a difficult time accomplishing their other goals. You they're not I mean? going to feel comfortable giving money to their kids, even if they want to. They're not going to feel money giving to charity, even if they want to. We right? find that to be so true. We're in a small town, and we're not dealing a lot with millionaires. We're dealing with people that just are middle-class Americans. No matter how much money they have, There is always that great fear. Am I going to outlive my money? What about medical bills? All those things. But there are things you can do 
to set things up so that you can have the confidence that things are in a good position that now you can do some meaningful estate planning. You can maybe do some meaningful charitable planning, but a lot of people just end up leaving it to chance because they're afraid to even start from square one. If you have a process that you can work with your insurance professionals, if you have a process that you can go through to help determine where that money's going to come from, now you can make some meaningful choices. Exactly. If you can get them really, really confident about their current cash flow and use some assets for current cash flow and other assets maybe to leave to their kids, right, then you can free the hostages. Say, Bruce, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, let's talk more about the estate planning considerations. This has been great so far, so please stay tuned. If you want more information on this program from your real wealth professional, just click the More Information button so they know to contact you. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Bruce Udell, who is the CEO of Udell Associates and Retirement Wealth Specialist and the founder of the Pentagon Financial Network. We've been talking about estate planning considerations and with the new law in place, we've been talking about the importance of continuing to focus on estate planning. It's not a reason to just forget about it. Before the break, we were talking a lot about how much should you leave to your children? Is there an amount that's too much? What about giving children different amounts? What have you experienced in your career in guiding clients in this area? Most clients, at least initially, are uncomfortable giving children different amounts unless there's an overriding reason like a disability or something like that. They're just uncomfortable. Even if one of their children happens to do much better than the other children, they're generally uncomfortable with that. So you kind of have to walk them through some examples to get them comfortable that there's a reason that fair and equal are two different words. So I had a client come in, if I can give an example. He had a business that he was in with his son, and he had a bunch of other liquid assets. The business produced a tremendous amount of income, and he felt like he had to give part of the business to his other kids who weren't involved in the business as well. And I said, well, that may be. But let me help you think about that. I said, if you have a million-dollar business and you have a million-dollar CD, are those equal? If you left a million-dollar business to your son, what would he have to do to make that business worth a million dollars? He'd have to use all of his time and all of his talent running that business, or it's not worth a million dollars. It's worth zero, right? And he said, right. I said, how about the million-dollar CD? If you leave that to your other children... What do they have to do in order to make that CD productive? Almost nothing. They get the income from the CD, and they can use all of their time and all of their talent doing something else. So fair and equal are not always the same thing. When I use that example with people, I feel like it really enlightens them. It really kind of opens their mind to, okay, maybe I don't have to be really equal. Let me look at my kids differently. And that really involves having a conversation now with your children. Don't surprise them with it. Have the conversation now. Very often, kids are very understanding about that, that they wouldn't necessarily get the assets equally, especially if there's really good reasons for it. We see that all the time in our area. We have a lot of farmers, and typically there's one kid that stays on the farm and the rest of them go their separate ways. A lot of times in a business, as you're growing the business, there's not that revenue to spin off. And a lot of times those kids that stay in the family business may not be receiving the same competitive wages, but there's kind of that underlying understanding, oh yeah, I'm going to be taken care of. Well, one of the mistakes that sometimes we see people make is when they do include all the kids, 
that can be unfair on both ends. One is, if you've got one kid in control, they can control the income, and maybe there's nothing left over for the other kids to share, and they're kind of stuck in that position. On the other hand, if one's doing all the work and the other ones just sit back and collect the checks, that's also not fair. So a lot of times you want to have a discussion when there's a family business. Do you want outsiders inside the business disrupting the decision-making power of taking that business forward? And at the same time, do you want to have family members stuck in a business where they can't control what's happening and they can't get the economic benefit from it because it's stuck in the business. So those are all considerations people really should be looking at. In fact, you really can't do a very good estate plan with a business owner unless you also do a business succession plan, right? Absolutely. And you really can't do a very good business succession plan unless you also do an estate plan. So they're so intertwined. To answer the question, no, I don't think you necessarily leave the same to all kids, but I think most people start out that way. So you have to be able to do what we just did and give them some perspective around that issue. One other aspect when dealing with a family business is valuations and whether or not there's going to be an estate tax issue. Maybe cover for our audience, where are we at with the estate taxes? At what point do we have to be concerned about that? There's an exemption now of $5 million. 250000 each, which I believe is going up to 5340000 each next year, if I'm not mistaken. And since you do have portability now, really, estate taxes aren't coming into play for a married couple until you get about $10.5 million estate. But as you said, you have valuation issues there, too. So what comprises the $10.5 million estate is not exactly carved in stone, right? Some assets are hard to value, so you're kind of guessing. But really, till you get about a $10.5 million state, the state tax planning just doesn't become a big issue. Let me just say this, if I could. You do have to be concerned with the growth on the estate, right? Because if they're not spending the assets, you do want to project that out. So you might still want to do some estate tax planning for people in that if they have enough income, you might want to use some strategies to get the growth out of the estate so that they don't wind up in the state tax position later on in that their state's growing faster than the exemptions are growing. You know, the exemptions are indexed for inflation also, but inflation is not very strong right now based on, for example, what a family business would grow at. Besides the legacy aspect, are there any additional benefits of creating an estate plan that uh, involves making a charitable donation, for example? Absolutely there is. For example, let's assume someone wants to make a charitable bequest in their will, and let's assume just for the sake of discussion that that person doesn't have a taxable estate. So it's not an estate tax issue. But they're going to make a charitable bequest. And one of the things that I'll say to someone, I'll say, well, that's interesting. Why are you doing it through your will instead of giving it to the charity now? And the answer I get is, well, because I want to use the income now. I'm saying, well, that's great that you're making the charitable bequest, but why are you leaving all the income tax benefits on the table? And they'll go, what do you mean? I'll say, well, you know, if you took that asset that you were leaving in a bequest and you put it into a charitable remainder trust, you would still effectively keep the income from that during your lifetime, but you might get a charitable income tax deduction of, let's say, 30% of the value of the property. So if it's $100,000, you can get a $30,000 income tax deduction. And what did you really give up? Yeah, you preserve the economic benefit. And if you're charitably inclined anyway, it's an awesome tool that people could be looking at. Not to mention, if they've got an asset they want to sell, you also get the benefit of having that asset sold with no capital gains. And right now, I know a lot of people aren't aware of this until it hits them. People get out of a business or they sell some land or whatever, and 
they don't realize that all of a sudden maybe they have a piece of property, they have a $450,000 gain and they don't think about what the impact is and all of a sudden they're hitting the top federal tax brackets, the top capital gain rates, the Obamacare tax. There are situations like what we run into if someone is on a farm and they sell equipment that's been fully depreciated, that's taxed at ordinary income. And they actually, you start stacking up all those taxes, it gets to be greater than 50% with our state income tax. So you really want to make sure you understand what those opportunities are to do some planning. And like you said, if you have charitable intent anyway, this can be a valuable planning tool. Right. So even if you don't have a taxable estate, a lot of people do leave bequests through their will. And I've always said, why do it that way? You're just leaving the income tax benefits on the table. Hey, let me ask you, from your perspective, let's say the listener already has a will or trust set up. What else should they be doing outside of that? Well, of course, wills or trusts are great, but they need to look at long-term care insurance, right? In case they wind up in a nursing home, they need to have a power of attorney drafted so that if they become incapacitated, someone else can make financial decisions for them. They need to have a health care surrogate to decide about who's going to control their health care if they're not able to, a living will so they know, frankly, whether or not to pull the plug. Those are all documents that typically come with a will and trust today. Most attorneys have a package that will include those, but it is very, very important to have that stuff. But in addition to that, how about the beneficiaries on your IRAs? Are they in concert with what the rest of your estate plan is doing, and are you maximizing the deferral benefits of your IRAs, 401ks, and what have you? So that's also very important. And of course, life insurance, which hopefully will be passing outside your will because you didn't name your estate as the beneficiary, those also have to be in concert with everything else you're trying to accomplish with your estate plan. So you really need to look at all of your assets, both assets that pass through your will, which are your probate assets that you own, and also assets that pass outside of your will. Also, if you have a revocable trust, but you haven't funded it, you really haven't accomplished anything with your revocable trust. So you have to make sure that the appropriate assets are transferred to that revocable trust so that you take advantage of the fact that the assets won't go through probate and they'll be private, but you won't get any of those benefits if you don't actually transfer the assets to the trust. And I have an awful lot of people, you probably have too, who come to my office and bring their wills and trusts, but their trusts aren't funded. Correct. Yep. Very common. Very common. So that's really important. That's really important. Those are all great points. Let's sum up for people what they should do to get started and the importance of working with a team. The best way to get started is to find someone you have confidence in who can help you, as we discussed earlier, work through the questions and give context to the issues for you so it makes making decisions easy. Uh, So you need to find a good advisor, and then you need to actually have a team where the attorney, the CPA, anybody who's going to be involved with your estate plan needs to communicate with each other. And the reason that's really important is if you go to your attorney and they tell you one thing, and you go to your CPA and they tell you another thing, and you go to your life insurance person and they tell you another thing, and you go to your stockbroker and he tells you something else, what are you going to do? Nothing, right? Because you don't know who to believe. You're much better off if you can get a team that works together where everybody, your advisors all decide together what's the best way to diagnose your issues and what's the best way to solve your issues, and you only hear one solution, the same, from all your advisors. Isn't that easier? No doubt. That's why it's so important to have a team. And all of your advisors, nobody has a monopoly on good ideas. So if you have a team of advisors, they're all going to bring a wealth of different experience to the table. And they all will speak a common language so they can 
talk to each other, come up with good, appropriate solutions for you as a team that they wouldn't have come up with on their own. Makes total sense. I think that's a great way to sum up. Bruce, it's been a very helpful conversation today, and hopefully it inspires our listeners today to take some action in getting their estate planning done. Because just because the law has changed and has risen those exemptions to higher amounts of $10 million plus doesn't mean that you're still accomplishing your objectives. It's not just tax issues. It's what do you want with your legacy? What do you want to go to your kids, to charities, and others? So thanks for sharing your time and expertise today. You're welcome, guys. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for thinking of me, and have a great day, Jim and Tony. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button.